The crowd parted, whispering excitedly. Lockhart dived forward, seized Harry's arm, and pulled him to the front. The crowd burst into applause. Harry's face burned as Lockhart shook his hand for the photographer, who's clicking away madly, wafting thick smoke over the Weasleys. Nice big smile, Harry, said Lockhart through his own gleaming teeth. Together, you and I are worth the front page. When he finally let go of Harry's hand, Harry could hardly feel his fingers. He tried to sidle back over to the Weasleys, but Lockhart threw an arm around his shoulders and clamped him tightly to his side. Ladies and gentlemen, he said loudly, waving for quiet. What an extraordinary moment this is. The perfect moment for me to make a little announcement I've been sitting on for some time. When young Harry here stepped into Flourish and Blots today, he only wanted to buy my autobiography, which I shall be happy to present him now, free of charge. The crowd applauded again. He had no idea, Lockhart continued giving Harry a little shake that made his glasses slip to the end of his nose, that he would shortly be getting much, much more than my book, Magical Me. He, and his schoolmates will, in fact, be getting the real Magical Me. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have great pleasure and pride in announcing that this September, I will be taking up the post of Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The crowd cheered and clapped, and Harry found himself being presented with the entire works of Gilderoy Lockhart. Staggering slightly under the weight, he managed to make his way out of the limelight to the edge of the room, where Ginny was standing next to her new cauldron. You have these, Harry mumbled to her, tipping the books into the cauldron. I'll buy my own. But you loved that, didn't you, Potter? said a voice Harry had no trouble recognizing. He straightened himself up and found himself face to face with Draco Malfoy, who was wearing his usual sneer. Famous Harry Potter, said Malfoy. Can't even go to a bookshop without making the front page. Leave him alone. He didn't want all that, said Ginny. It was the first time she'd spoken in front of Harry. She was glaring at Malfoy. Potter, you've got yourself a girlfriend, drawled Malfoy. Ginny went scarlet as Ron and Hermione fought their way over, both clutching stacks of Lockhart's books. Oh, it's you, said Ron, looking at Malfoy, as if he were something unpleasant on the sole of his shoe. Bet you're surprised to see Harry here, eh? Not as surprised as I am to see you in a shop, Weasley, retorted Malfoy. I suppose your parents will go hungry for a month to pay for all those. Ron went as red as Ginny. He dropped his books into the cauldron, too, and started toward Malfoy. But Harry and Hermione grabbed the back of his jacket. Ron, said Mr. Weasley, struggling over with Fred and George. What are you doing? It's too crowded in here. Let's go outside. Well, well, well. Arthur Weasley. It was Mr. Malfoy. He stood with his hand on Draco's shoulder, sneering in just the same way. Lucius? said Mr. Weasley, nodding coldly. Busy time at the ministry, I hear, said Mr. Malfoy. All those raids. I hope they're paying you overtime. He reached into Ginny's cauldron and extracted from amid the glossy Lockhart books a very old, very battered copy of A Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration. 
Obviously not, Mr. Malfoy said. Dear me, what's the use of being a disgrace to the name of wizard if they can't even pay you well for it? Mr. Weasley flushed darker than either Ron or Ginny. We have very different ideas of what disgraces the name of wizard, Malfoy, he said. Clearly, said Mr. Malfoy, his pale eyes straying to Mr. and Mrs. Granger, who were watching apprehensively. The company you keep, Weasley. And I thought your family could sink no lower. There was a thud of metal as Ginny's cauldron went flying. Mr. Weasley had thrown himself at Mr. Malfoy, knocking him backward into a bookshelf. Dozens of heavy spellbooks came thundering down on all their heads, and there was a yell of, Get him, Dad! from Fred or George. Mrs. Weasley was shrieking, No, Arthur, no! The crowd stampeded backwards, knocking more shelves over. Gentlemen, please, please, cried the assistant. And then, louder than all, Break it up there, gents, break it up! Hagrid was wading toward them through the sea of books. In an instant, he had pulled Mr. Weasley and Mr. Malfoy apart. Mr. Weasley had a cut lip, and Mr. Malfoy had been hit in the eye by an encyclopedia of toadstools. He was still holding Ginny's old transfiguration book. He thrust it at her, his eyes glittering with malice. Here, girl, take your book. It's the best your father can give you. Pulling himself out of Hagrid's grip, he beckoned to Draco and swept from the shop. You should have ignored him, Arthur, said Hagrid, almost lifting Mr. Weasley off his feet as he straightened his robes. Rotten to the core of the whole family. Everyone knows that. No Malfoy's worth listening to her. Bad blood, that's what it is. Come on now. Let's get out of here. The assistant looked as though he wanted to stop them leaving, but he barely came up to Hagrid's waist and seemed to think better of it. They hurried up the street, the Granger shaking with fright, and Mrs. Weasley beside herself with fury. A fine example to set your children! Brawling in public! What Gilderoy Lockhart must have thought! He was pleased, said Fred. Didn't you hear him as we were leaving? He was asking that bloke from the Daily Prophet if he'd be able to work the fight into his report. Said it was all publicity. But it was a subdued group that headed back to the fireside in the leaky cauldron, where Harry, the Weasleys, and all their shopping would be traveling back to the borough using the flu powder. They said goodbye to the Grangers, who were leaving the pub for the Muggle Street on the other side. Mr. Weasley started to ask them how bus stops worked, but stopped quickly at the look on Mrs. Weasley's face. Harry took off his glasses and put them safely in his pocket before helping himself to flu powder. It definitely wasn't his favorite way to travel. Chapter 5 the Whomping Willow. The end of summer vacation came too quickly for Harry's liking. He was looking forward to getting back to Hogwarts, but his month at the borough had been the happiest of his life. It was difficult not to feel jealous of Ron when he thought of the Dursleys and the sort of welcome he could expect next time he turned up at Privet Drive. On their last evening, Mrs. Weasley conjured up a sumptuous dinner that included all of Harry's favorite things, ending with a mouth-watering treacle pudding. Fred and George rounded off the evening with a display of filibuster fireworks. They f filled the kitchen with red and blue stars that bounced from the ceiling to wall for at least half an hour. Then it was time for a last mug of hot chocolate and bed. It took a long while to get started next morning. They were up at dawn, but somehow they still seemed to have a great deal to do. 
Mrs. Weasley dashed about in a bad mood, looking for spare socks and quills. People kept colliding on the stairs, half-dressed with bits of toast in their hands. And Mr. Weasley nearly broke his neck, tripping over a stray chicken as he crossed the yard carrying Ginny's trunk to the car. Harry couldn't see how eight people, six large trunks, two owls, and a rat were going to fit into one small Ford and Gilia. He had reckoned, of course, without the special features Mr. Weasley had added. Not a word to Molly, he whispered to Harry as he opened the trunk and showed him how it had been magically expanded so that the luggage fit easily. When they at last were all in the car, Mrs. Weasley glanced onto the back seat, where Harry, Ron, George, Fred, and Percy were all sitting comfortably side by side and said, Muggles do know more than we give them credit for, don't they? She and Ginny got into the front seat, which had been stretched so that it resembled a park bench. I mean, you'd never know it was this roomy from the outside, would you? Mr. Weasley started up the engine, and they trundled out of the yard, Harry turning back for a last look at the house. He barely had time to wonder what he, when he'd see it again, when they were back. George had forgotten his box of filibuster fireworks. Five minutes after that, they skidded to a halt in the yard so that Fred could run in for his broomstick. They had almost reached the highway when Ginny shrieked that she'd left her diary. By the time she had clambered back into the car, they were running very late, and tempers were running high. Mrs. Weasley glanced at his watch, then at his wife. Molly, dear. No, Arthur. No one would see. This little button here is an invisibility booster I installed. That'd get us up in the air. Then we fly above the clouds. We'd be there in ten minutes, and no one would be any wiser. I said no, Arthur. Not in broad daylight. They reached King's Cross at a quarter to eleven. Mr. Weasley dashed across the road to get trolleys for their trunks, and they all hurried into the station. Harry had caught the Hogwarts Express the previous year. The tricky part was getting onto platform nine and three quarters, which wasn't visible to the muggle eye. When you, what you had to do was walk through the solid barrier dividing platforms nine and ten. It didn't hurt, but it had to be done carefully so that none of the muggles noticed you vanishing. Percy first, said Mrs. Weasley, looking nervously at the clock overhead which showed they only had five minutes to disappear casually through the barrier. Percy strode bis briskly forward and vanished. Mr. Weasley went next. Fred and George followed. I'll take Ginny, and you two come right after us, Mrs. Weasley told Harry and Ron, grabbing Ginny's hand and setting off. In the blink of the eye, they were gone. Let's go together. We've only got a minute, Ron said to Harry. Harry made sure that Hedwig's cage was safely wedged on top of his trunk and wheeled his trolley around to face the barrier. He felt perfectly confident. This wasn't nearly as uncomfortable as using flu powder. Both of them bent low over the handles of their trolleys and walked purposely towards the barrier, gathering speed. A few feet from it, they broke into a run and... Crash! Both trolleys hit the barrier and bounced backward. Ron's trunk fell off with a loud thump. Harry was knocked off his feet, and Hedwig's cage bounced onto the shiny floor, and she rolled away, shrieking indignantly. People all around them stared, and a guard nearby yelled, What in blazes do you think you're doing? Lost control of the trolley, Harry gasped, clutching his ribs as he got up. Ron ran to pick up Hedwig, who was causing such a scene that there was a lot of muttering about cruelty to animals from the surrounding crowd. Why can't we get through? Harry hissed to Ron. I don't know. Ron looked wildly around. 
A dozen curious people were still watching them. We're going to miss the train, Ron whispered. I don't understand why the gateway sealed itself. Harry looked at the giant clock with a sickening feeling in the pit of his stomach. Ten seconds. Nine seconds. He wheeled his trolley forward, cautiously, until it was right against the barrier and pushed with all his might. The metal remained solid. Three seconds. Two seconds. One second. It's gone, said Ron, sounding stunned. The train's left. What if Mom and Dad can't get back through to us? Have you got any muggle money? Harry gave a hollow laugh. The Dursleys haven't given me pocket money for about six years. Ron pressed his ear to the cold barrier. Can't hear a thing, he said tensely. What are we going to do? I don't know how long it'll take Mom and Dad to get back to us. They looked around. People were still watching them, mainly because of Hedwig's continuing shrieks. I think we'd better go and wait by the car, said Harry. We're attracting too much attention. Harry, said Ron, his eyes gleaming. The car! What about it? We can fly the car to Hogwarts. But I thought, we're stuck, right? And we've got to get to school, haven't we? Even underage wizards are allowed to use magic if it's a real emergency. Section 19 or something of the restriction of thingy. But your mom and dad, said Harry, pushing against the barrier again in the vain hope it would give way. How will they get home? They don't need the car, said Ron impatiently. They know how to apparate. You know, just vanish and reappear at home. They only bother with blue powder in the car because we're all underage and we're not allowed to apparate yet. Harry's feeling of panic suddenly turned to excitement. Can you fly it? No problem, said Ron, wheeling his trolley around to face the exit. Come on, let's go. If we hurry, we'll be able to follow the Hogwarts Express. And they marched off through the crowd of curious muggles out of the station and back onto the side road where the old Ford and Glia was parked. Ron unlocked the cavernous trunk with a series of taps from his wand. They heaved their luggage back in, put Hedwig on the back seat, and got into the front. Check that no one's watching, said Ron, starting the ignition with another tap of his wand. Harry stuck his head out of the window. Traffic was rumbling along the main road, but their street was empty. Okay, he said. Ron pressed a tiny silver button on the dashboard. The car around them vanished. And so did they. Harry could feel the seat vibrating beneath him. Hear the engine, feel his hands on his knees and his glasses on his nose, but for all he could see, he'd become a pair of eyeballs floating a few feet above the ground in a dingy street full of parked cars. Let's go, said Ron's voice from his right. And the ground and the dirty buildings on either side fell away, dropping out of sight as the car rose in seconds. The whole of London lay, smoky and glittering, below them. Then there was a popping noise, and the car, Harry, and Ron reappeared. Uh-oh, said Ron, jabbing at the invisibility booster. It's faulty. Both of them pummeled it. The car vanished. Then it flickered back again. Hold on, Ron yelled as he slammed his foot on the accelerator, and they shot straight into the low, woolly clouds, and everything turned dull and foggy. Now what, said Harry, 
blinking at the solid mass of cloud pressing in on them from all sides. We need to see the train to know what direction to go in, said Ron. Dip back down again, quickly. They dropped back beneath the clouds and twisted around in their seats, squinting at the ground. I can see it, Harry yelled. Right ahead, there. The Hogwarts Express was streaking along below them like a scarlet snake. Due north, said Ron, checking the compass on the dashboard. Okay, we'll just have to check on it every half hour or so. Hold on. And they shot up through the clouds. A minute later, they burst out into a blaze of sunlight. It was a different world. The wheels of the car skimmed the sea of fluffy cloud. The sky, a bright, endless blue under the blinding white sun. All we've got to worry about now are airplanes, said Ron. They looked at each other and started to laugh. For a long time, they couldn't stop. It was as though they had been plunged into a fabulous dream. This, thought Harry, was surely the only way to travel. Past swirls and turrets of snowy cloud, and a car full of hot, bright sunlight, with a fat pack of toffees in the glove compartment, and the prospect of seeing Fred and George's faces when they landed smoothly and spectacularly on the sweeping lawn in front of the Hogwarts castle. They made regular checks on the train as they flew farther and farther north, each dip beneath the clouds showing them a different view. London was soon far behind them, replaced by neat green fields that gave way in turn to wide, purplish moors, a great city alive with cars like multicolored ants, villages with tiny toy churches. Several uneventful hours later, however, Harry had to admit that the, some of the fun was wearing off. The toffees had made them extremely thirsty and they had nothing to drink. He and Ron had pulled off their sweaters, but Harry's t-shirt was sticking to the back of his seat and his glasses kept sliding down to the end of his sweaty nose. He had stopped noticing the fantastic cloud shapes now and was thinking longingly of the train miles below, where you could buy ice-cold pumpkin juice from a trolley pushed by a plump witch. Why hadn't they been able to get onto platform nine and three quarters? Can't be much further, can it? Croaked Ron, hours later still, as the sun started to sink into their floor of cloud, staining it a deep pink. Ready for another check on the train? It was still right below them, winding its way past a snow-capped mountain. It was much darker beneath the canopy of clouds. Ron put his foot on the accelerator and drove them upward again. But as he did so, the engine began to whine. Harry and Ron exchanged nervous glances. It's probably just tired, said Ron. It's never been this far before. And they both pretended not to notice the whining growing louder and louder as the sky became steadily darker. Stars were blossoming in the blackness. Harry pulled his sweater back on, trying to ignore the way the windshield wipers were now waving feebly, as though in protest. Not far, said Ron, more to the car than to Harry. Not far now, and he patted the dashboard nervously. When they flew back beneath the clouds a little while later, they had to squint through the darkness for a landmark they knew. There, Harry shouted, making Ron and Hedwood jump. Straight ahead! Silhouetted on the dark horizon, high on the cliff over the lake, stood the many turrets and towers of Hogwarts Castle. But the car had begun to shudder and was losing speed. 
Come on, said Ron, conjolingly, giving the steering wheel a little shake. Nearly there. Come on. The engine groaned. Narrow jets of steam were issuing from under the hood. Harry found himself gripping the edges of his seat very hard as they flew toward the lake. The car gave a nasty wobble. Glancing out his window, Harry saw the smooth, black, glassy surface of the water a mile below. Ron's knuckles were white on the steering wheel. The car wobbled again. Come on, Ron muttered. They were over the lake. The castle was right ahead. Ron put his foot down. There was a loud clunk, a splutter, and the engine died completely. Uh-oh, said Ron to the silence. The nose of the car dropped. They were falling, gathering speed, heading straight for the solid castle wall. No! Ron yelled, swinging the steering wheel around. They missed the dark stone wall by inches as the car turned in a great arc, soaring over the dark greenhouses, then the vegetable patch, and then out over the black lawns, losing altitude all the time. Ron let go of the steering wheel completely and pulled his rond out of his back pocket. Stop! Stop! he yelled, whacking the dashboard in the windshield, but they were still plummeting and the ground flying up toward them. Watch out for that tree! Harry bellowed, lunging for the steering wheel, but too late. Crunch! With an ear-splitting bang of metal on wood, they hit the thick tree trunk and dropped to the ground with a heavy jolt. Steam was billowing from under the crumpled hood. Hedwig was shrieking in terror. A golf ball-sized lump was throbbing on Harry's head where he had hit the windshield. And to his right, Ron let out a low, despairing groan. Are you okay? Harry asked urgently. My wand, said Ron in a shaky voice. Look at my wand. It had snapped, almost in two. The tip was dangling limply held on by a few splinters. Harry opened his mouth to be say he was sure they'd be able to mend it at the school, but he never even got started. At that very moment, something hit his side of the car with the force of a charging bull sending him lurching sideways into Ron just as an equally heavy blow hit the roof. What's happened? Ron gasped, staring through the windshield, and Harry looked around in time to see a branch as thick as a python smash into it. The tree they had hit was attacking them. Its trunk was bent almost double, and its gnarled boughs were pummeling every inch of the car it could reach. Ah! said Ron as another twisted limb punched a large dent into his door. The windshield was now trembling under a hail of blows from knuckle-like twigs, and a branch as thick as a battering ram was pounding furiously on the roof, which seemed to be caving it. Run for it! Ron shouted, throwing his full weight against the door, but the next second he'd been knocked backward into Harry's lap by a vicious uppercut from another branch. We're done for, he moaned as the ceiling sagged. But suddenly, the floor of the car was vibrating. The engine had restarted. Reverse, Harry yelled, and the car shot backward. The tree was still trying to hit them, but they could hear its roots creaking as it almost ripped itself up, lashing out of them as they sped out of reach. That, panted Ron, was close. Well done, car. The car, however, had reached the end of its tether. With two sharp clunks, doors flew open, and Harry felt his seat tip sideways. Next thing he knew, he was sprawled on the damp ground. 
Loud thuds told him that the car was ejecting their luggage from the trunk. Hedwig's cage flew through the air and burst open. She rose out of it with an angry screech and sped off toward the castle without a backward look. Then, dented, scratched, and steaming, the car rumbled off into the darkness, its rear lights blazing angrily. Come back! Ron yelled after it, brandishing his broken wand. That'll kill me! But the car disappeared from view with one last snort from its exhaust. Can you believe our luck, said Ron miserably. Of all the trees we could have hit, we had to get one that hits back. He glanced over his shoulder at the ancient tree, which was still flailing its branches threateningly. Come on, said Harry wearily. We'd better get up to the school. It wasn't at all the triumphant arrival they had pictured. Stiffed, cold, and bruised, they seized the ends of their trunk and began dragging them up the grassy slope toward the great oak front door. I think the feast's already started, said Ron, dropping his trunk at the foot of the front steps and crossing quietly to look through a brightly lit window. Hey, Harry, come and look. It's the sorting. Harry hurried over, and together he and Ron peered in at the great hall. Innumerable candles were hovering in mid-air over four long, crowded tables, making the golden plates and goblets sparkle. Overhead, the bewitched ceiling, which always mirrored the sky outside, sparkled with stars. Through the forest of pointed black Hogwarts hats, Harry saw a long line of scared-looking first-years filing into the hall. Ginny was among them, easily visible because of her vivid, weasley hair. Meanwhile, Professor McGonagall, a bespectacled, bespectacled witch with her hair in a tight bun, was placing the famous Hogwarts sorting hat on a stool before the newcomers. Every year, this aged old hat, patched, frayed, and dirty, sorted new students into four Hogwarts houses, Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. Harry well remembered putting it on exactly one year ago and waiting petrified for its decision as it muttered aloud in his ear. For a few horrible seconds, he had feared that the hat was going to put him in Slytherin, the house that had turned out more dark witches and wizards than any other. But he had ended up in Gryffindor, along with Ron, Hermione, and the rest of the Weasleys. Last term, Harry and Ron had helped Gryffindor win the house championship, beating Slytherin for the first time in seven years. A very small, mousy-haired boy had been called forward to place the hat on his head, Harry's eyes wandered past him to where Professor Dumbledore, the headmaster, sat watching the sorting from the staff table, his long silver beard and half-moon glasses shining brightly in the candlelight. Several seats along, Harry saw Gilderoy Lockhart, dressed in robes of aquamarine. And at the end was Hagrid, huge, and Harry, and drinking heavily from his goblet. Hang on, Harry muttered to Ron. There is an empty chair at the staff table. Where's Snape? Professor Severus Snape was Harry's least favorite teacher. Harry also happened to be Snape's least favorite student. Cruel, sarcastic, and disliked by everybody except the students from his own house, Slytherin. Snape taught potions. Maybe he's ill, said Ron hopefully. Maybe he's left, said Harry, because he missed out on the defense of dark, against the dark arts job again. Or he might have been sacked, said Ron enthusiastically. I mean, everyone hates him. 
Or maybe, said a very cold voice right behind them, he's waiting to hear why you two didn't arrive on the school train.'